Hello and welcome to the Everything Hoop Show episode 10 on KRNU2. In this episode, I'm going to continue to talk about more first round series, specifically Knicks vs. Cavs, Heat vs. Bucks, and Warriors vs. Kings, which the Warriors won in 7. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So the first playoff series I'm going to talk about today is the Knicks vs. Cavs, which the Knicks obliterated the Cavs in five games. New York ball with a two-point lead. Brunson again working at Osmond with a crossover dribble. Now nice. takes the long two and connects again. Brunson with 25, Knicks by four. Jalen Brunson averaged 24 points. R.J. Barrett, after struggling in the first two games of the series, averaged 17.4 points in this series. Mitchell Robinson killed it in this series as Mitchell Robinson got five or more offensive rebounds in four of the five games in this first round series, and he averaged 2.2 blocks per game in this series. I think he was the main difference as to why the Knicks won so easily because he straight up outplayed and bullied Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and literally was the reason why the Cavs could not get anything in the paint. So my first thing that I want to talk about is I think the Cavs attacked the Knicks defense wrong because what they did a lot, which I thought that they should have stopped doing after game one, I thought they would have noticed this, but they would put... They would have Evan Mobley set a ball screen for Donovan Mitchell. Most of the time it was Julius Randle guarding him. And they would just trap that pick and roll and have Donovan Mitchell just pass it to Evan Mobley. And the person that was waiting for Evan Mobley was Mitchell Robinson. So Mitchell Robinson was able to help and stop Evan Mobley from scoring in the paint. That's a big reason why Evan Mobley struggled in this series because Mitchell Robinson was such a force. But I thought that the Cavs should have put Mitchell Robinson in more pick and rolls and try to get him out of the paint and try to attack their defense there. But yeah, the New York Knicks won this series because of their offensive rebounding. In five games, they got a total of 75 offensive rebounds, which is 15 offensive rebounds per game, which is completely insane and made up for things like this team does not shoot the three ball well. They don't hit threes. Julius Randle struggled in this series and took some bad shots, but they were able to get offensive rebounds. Mitchell Robinson completely dominated Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Part of it is their fault because they got out physicaled and they should have done a better job rebounding Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, but also the guards needed to help out when it came to rebounding. But unfortunately, they didn't and the Cavs gave up 15 offensive rebounds per game, which is a big turning point in this series. But of course... Another person that we need to shout out is Jalen Brunson. He killed it in every single game except for game two, which they lost. He shot five for 17 from the field in game two. But game one, he struggled a little bit to start because he was in foul trouble in the first half, but completely killed it in the second half. He finished game one with 27 points. Game three, he shot an efficient 10 for 18 from the field and had 21 and six assists. Game four, he killed it and had 29. He was so great 
scoring in isolation, taking advantage of matchups. If he had Donovan Mitchell on him, he would score. If he had Darius Garland, he would score. Chetty Osman, he cooked him a couple of times. Evan Mobley, Karis LeVert, he was so good at scoring in isolation. That's what the Knicks needed because they are a ISO heavy offense. They run some sets, but their offense isn't predicated on ball movement. It's more ISO heavy and you need shot creators, which you do need shot creators in the playoffs. But Julius Randle struggles with efficiency. Those shots that he takes, they're extremely difficult. So there's a high chance that they may not go in. So you need someone like Jalen Brunson that can just go get you a bucket. And maybe the Cavs I don't know. I feel like they should have double teamed Jalen Brunson more. I remember in game one, Jalen Brunson just completely closed out this game because the Cavs just let Jalen Brunson ISO against Chetty Osman. No help, no gap help. It was just let Chetty get cooked on an island, which... Chetty was in the game because Isaac Okoro in game one just couldn't play because the Knicks were leaving him wide open and he was such an offensive liability in that game. So I just felt like Chetty had no chance. Of course he has no chance. That's pretty obvious. So the Cavs should have. I remember one possession in the end of game one. Evan Mobley was in the gap. So if Chetty just played on Jalen Brunson's side and forced Jalen Brunson into that gap help where Evan Mobley was, Jalen Brunson probably would not have scored in isolation, but instead he got a nice mid-range pull-up and basically sealed the game. So Jalen Brunson was just incredible in this series. So moving on to RJ Barrett, I talked about how he struggled to start this series in game one. He had seven points on two for 12 shooting. Game two, he shot four for 13 and only had 14 points. But then in game three, he had 19 on eight for 12 from the field. So that's 67% shooting. And then in game four, he had his highest scoring game, 26 points, and then finished off the series with 21 points. So with RJ, I think it starts with first off, not settling for threes because his jumper is inconsistent right now he needs to work on his jumper really badly from three he needs to shoot better from three he had a good game in game three he shot three for six so took a good amount of attempts and made three of them that's good but then in game four he went 0 for six game two 0 for three game one one for five so i think focusing on attacking the basket is very important for him and also making sure he gets left and it's also important for Tom Thibodeau to run plays that can get him going towards the left so I'm talking about setting ball screens that can get him going left DHOs but also running that Miami set so basically Miami is just a combination of the both it's a DHO into a ball screen so Jalen Brunson would bring up the ball and then he would hand it off to RJ Barrett and then RJ Barrett would immediately get a screen from Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Harnstein, whoever the screener is and have him going left on that action so he can get to the rim. That's a main thing that I consistently want to look at if he can get to his left hand because he's a much better driver and finisher when going to his left hand. Another play that I saw that I liked that can get RJ Barrett an easy basket is when they run that 
Quickhawk play. And if you do not know, Quickhawk is basically an empty corner pick and roll. But on the weak side of the floor, there's a stagger. I remember the Knicks running this with Jalen Brunson and R.J. Barrett. So Jalen Brunson was was the ball handler. R.J. Barrett would set the screen and then pop. What, what happened was two calves went with Jalen Brunson. So that left R.J. Barrett open on the pop. And then he attacked the basket. But the weak side help was late because they were focused on the stagger. So R.J. Barrett got an easy layup. Another thing is, of course, transition. If R.J. Barrett gets out and runs, gets easy baskets before opposing defenses get, can get set, then maybe that can get him going a little bit offensively. So yeah, basically, do not sell for jumpers. Get to your left hand. But it's important. You do not want to be predictable offensively. So of course, he's got things to work on in his game. But I've seen some nice things throughout his career. And in this series, I remember one play. He had Chetty Osman in an isolation game four in the fourth quarter. He beat him off the dribble and hit a really nice fadeaway fallaway jumper. It was pretty cool to see. So hopefully RJ Barrett continues to work on the things that he needs to improve on. Basically his three-pointer and mid-range jumper. And he should be perfectly fine. So talking about the Cavs a little bit. I kind of mentioned this while talking about the Knicks. I thought that they attacked the Knicks defense the wrong way. The main thing that I saw was when they would have Evan Mobley as a screener for Donovan Mitchell. That meant that Julius Randle would then just trap the pick and roll and Donovan Mitchell had to give it to Evan Mobley in the short roll. And Mitchell Robinson was waiting there. And Evan Mobley would try to just score over him and it didn't work at all. Evan Mobley shot 4 for 13 in game 1 because every single time he rolled, he had to take a contested post hook, just a contested shot over Mitchell Robinson. And I thought that it went really bad. And I also thought that JB was going to adjust and figure out other ways to attack this Knicks defense. Maybe if you put Evan Mobley as the roller and get it to him in the short roll, maybe you can throw the alley-oop to Jared Allen in the dunker spot when, when Mitchell Robinson comes to help. They had some success with those two doing that during the regular season, but in the playoffs this series, they didn't do that. Another thing with the Cavs... It's pretty simple. The Knicks had a game plan, and that was to double-team Donovan Mitchell a lot, overhelp, and leave guys that they thought were not going to hit open threes. The Cavs shot 32.7% from the three-point line, and if you look at three-point percentage, Darius Garland shot the best at 38.7, but if you look at role players, Isaac Okoro, 30.8% from three. Chetty Osman, 30%. And Danny Green shot 25%. So the Cavs superstar Donovan Mitchell underperformed in this series. Game four, he shot five for 18 from the field and only had 11 points and six turnovers. And then in the elimination game, Donovan Mitchell shot 11 for 26 from the field and three for 12 from three. He had 28 points, solid production, but not good efficiency. Part is the Cavs' fault because this roster doesn't have enough 
good floor spacing because you got two bigs that can't shoot and your small forward most of the time is not a great three-point shooter so the Knicks were double teaming him good job by the Knicks part of the fault was also on Donovan Mitchell because he he created shots that he should have hit. He's a great player. Darius Garland also underperformed in this series. He had a couple good moments like game two. He killed it. 32 points in game four that third quarter. He was the reason why they were still in the game because he was really good in that third quarter. But then you would have games where he had six turnovers. Game three, he was awful. He had 10 points, four for 21 from the field. And they were good looks. He was just missing them really badly. Catch and shoot threes. I remember he would he airballed one catch and shoot three during this game. The Knicks were also running drop coverage on him. So he was getting wide open pull up threes. He couldn't finish anything at the rim. It was really bad. But anyways, for game four... That third quarter, I felt like they finally figured out something that worked when attacking this Knicks defense. So they ran a lot of Chicago in the third quarter, which is pinned down to DHO. What the Knicks were doing was they were having Jalen Brunson top block. Darius Garland on the Chicago action so Darius Garland what he would do was he either went back door and he got a layup on a couple of those or he just looped around and then not even used any of the screens he just got the ball from Jared Allen or Evan Mobley whoever it was and got into the paint drew the help of Mitchell Robinson and threw the oop to Jared Allen so I thought that was extremely important that Darius Garland was drawing the help and making the extra pass and getting easy shots for his teammates but it didn't matter in game five because they struggled once again offensively so everything that worked in that third quarter they didn't do and the Cavs deserved to lose this game and this series honestly. So the next series I'm going to talk about is the Sacramento Kings versus the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors won in a great seven-game series. Davis trying to swat it away. Curry with Murray on him. Three-pointer. Punch it in! Stephen Curry finished off the series with a 50-point Game 7. In this series, he averaged 33.7 points, shooting 49% from the field. Clay averaged 21. Andrew Wiggins averaged 18. And Kevon Looney averaged 15 rebounds in this game and was incredible defensively against Damanis Sabonis. And for the Kings, De'Aaron Fox averaged 27 points. Malik Monk averaged 19 off the bench. Demonis Sabonis, he struggled. He only averaged 16 points, 11 rebounds, and shot 49.4% from the field. He definitely underperformed in this series. Before I talk about what happened in every individual game, the first thing that's very important to talk about is that guys that the Kings expect and need to hit threes just weren't hitting their threes. Harrison Barnes, he shot 24% 
from three in the series. He had that game four where he missed the game winner. It was solidly contested by Steph Curry after Draymond helped out on De'Aaron Fox. Kevin Herter, he's the more disappointing one. 20% from three. He was absolutely awful. And the Kings in general got good looks from three, but they only shot 30% from three. So both teams had a specific game plan for the Kings defensively. They wanted to blitz or trap Stephen Curry on every single pick and roll, have Sabonis basically trap whenever they guarded pick and rolls. And for the Warriors when guarding De'Aaron Fox, they would have Kevon Looney in a drop and they would have whoever was guarding De'Aaron Fox go under the screen, and they did this for the majority of the series. Sometimes they did some late switches with Kevon Looney, sometimes they trapped, but the majority of the time it was drop coverage, which didn't work in game one because De'Aaron scored 38 points in game one and had 15 points in the fourth quarter and hit some big time clutch shots. Malik Monk was also really good in this game. He had 32 and 13 points in the fourth quarter. He was also attacking the Warriors defense. I thought it was interesting how the Warriors didn't adjust this type of coverage but it worked for them because they won the series. And another thing very important about the series that you're going to notice is in the first two games the Kings attacked the offensive glass. They had 17 offensive rebounds in game one which made up for their really bad three-point shooting to start especially from their starters as Kevin Herter went 0 for 5 from 3 in this game one. Keegan Murray went 0 for 3 from 3. And the Warriors, they turned the ball over a lot. And they had 15 turnovers in game one. In game seven, they didn't turn the ball over at all, which is a big reason why they won this game. The Warriors scored 106, the Kings scored 114, and me personally, I thought that this was the Kings' best game defensively because of how active they were forcing turnovers. Davion Mitchell was really good on Steph Curry. Their traps on the pick and roll were really good. They forced 20 turnovers, and once again, they got a lot of offensive rebounds. They got 12 of them, which was a key point for the Kings, and when the Warriors started to rebound better, and they were getting more offensive rebounds. That really turned the favor for the Warriors in the series. But this game too was really good for the Kings. And we of course know what happened where Draymond stomped on Demonis Sabonis. So Draymond was ejected for game three, but it didn't matter as the Warriors won by 17, 114 to 97. And this was a really bad defensive game for the Kings really bad because they were losing Steph off the ball, off cuts, off off ball screens, like pin downs. It was not good whatsoever. And everyone in general underperformed. I mean, they shot 11 for 47 from three. This is a team that shot 37% from three during the regular season. They were six in three-point percentage. They were getting solid looks from three, but just like this game three, they were not hitting their threes. They also missed seven free throws, 16 for 23, 
and Kevon Looney, this was one of his games where he just absolutely dominated along with Stephen Curry. Steph had 36. Kevon Looney had 20 rebounds. Nine of them were offensive. He had nine assists. So it was not a good game in general. And then in game four, it was really good even though both teams weren't playing any good defense. The Warriors, it looked like that they were going to get this at the end, but the Kings had a late comeback. And then Harrison Barnes missed the three for the win, which it would have been funny if Harrison Barnes hit a three against his former team, but he couldn't. And then the Warriors took game five. And then game six, the Kings decided to play Trey Lyles at the small ball five when Demonis Sabonis was not in the game for more spacing. And it worked as Trey Lyles in this game. He had 12 points and had a plus minus of plus nine. Malik Monk, another good game. He was great this whole series. He had a couple of bad games, but he was really good. And for some reason, the Warriors turned the ball over 18. I mean, not for some reason. They always turn the ball over whenever they lose. They can get a little careless. But the Kings had 19 turnovers. So this should have been a game that the Warriors won. It was just going small ball. Really worked in the Kings' favor. And the Warriors were struggling to hit shots. Specifically, Clay and Jordan Poole. And then game seven, Steph Curry dropped 50 and he did everything. He was hitting three, scoring off the pick and roll, finishing at the rim. He was getting some mid-range jumpers. He was so good. But Kevon Looney really changed this game in the third quarter as he got seven offensive rebounds. Absolutely incredible. And for the Kings, I mean... You got to look at the fact that they gave up 18 offensive rebounds. 10 of them were to Kevon Looney. Shout out to De'Aaron Fox. He had a really bad game in this closeout game, but we know that he was playing through a finger injury. Demonis Sabonis, he had a good game production-wise, and he had some good defensive moments in the first half. But fact of the matter is, he got outplayed in that third quarter and in general he got outplayed because he should have done more with the Warriors defensive game plan on him just having Kevon Looney sit in the paint and ignore Demonis Sabonis so Demonis Sabonis had a lot of easy push shots that he missed he had a lot of easy mid-range shots that he missed he had a lot of times where he got deep positioning but Kevon Looney was able to battle and and force Demonis Sabonis into a missed shot he definitely should have been better another thing that was interesting was Mike Brown didn't put Davion Mitchell to guard Steph Curry which I understand that Davion Mitchell was bad offensively, but he was your best option. Instead, you went with Terrence Davis, who had a good game, especially in the first half, but he was falling asleep on Steph Curry a lot. Whenever Steph Curry would relocate, Terrence Davis just wasn't there and would lead to a wide open three. A lot of easy cuts were giving up to Steph Curry. There was just a lot of things I felt the Kings could have done better, but they definitely did try some things. They top-locked Stephen Curry whenever he came off pin downs. I remember in the earlier games, they ran some box and one, but the most impressive 
thing that the Warriors did was how they attacked the Kings defense whenever they trapped pick and rolls. So basically Steph Curry would quickly swing the ball to Draymond Green and then Draymond Green would hit Kevon Looney in the short roll and then Kevon Looney would either score or hit someone who was at the dunker spot. Most of the time it was Andrew Wiggins or another counter they would have was just run a quick DHO while Demonis Sabonis was out of position in that trap, trapping the pick and roll, and Steph Curry was able to get freed from there. But another thing that I noticed was since the Warriors knew the Kings plays, it kind of ruined their flow offensively. It ruined what they had going offensively during the regular season, and the Kings definitely did struggle with that. As the Kings in this first round series averaged 22 assists in the seven games, But in the regular season, they had 27 assists per game. So clearly what the Warriors did worked. Also, another thing that was interesting to me was how many pick and rolls the Sacramento Kings ran. As in the regular season, the Kings only ran 14.7 pick and rolls. And then in the playoffs against the Warriors, they ran 22 pick and rolls, which is really interesting because that was not their offense in the regular season. It was more give the ball to Demonis Sabonis in the high post, more cutting, more DHOs. But of course, they're going to run their offense more through De'Aaron Fox. And I thought it was a pretty smart idea because of how the Kings, I mean, how the Warriors were running their defense in the pick and roll, running that drop coverage on De'Aaron Fox and going under the screens, but it worked and the Warriors won this series in a competitive seven games. And finally, I'm going to talk about how the Heat beat the Bucks in five games. And of course, you got to talk about Jimmy Butler. He averaged a historic 37.6 points in this series and shot 60% from three. So it starts with Jimmy Butler and he attacked the Milwaukee Bucks drop coverage. He was scoring on Drew Holiday extremely well, who's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And what the Bucks were doing that really didn't make any sense for it was they were playing on Jimmy's side a lot, which gave him an, an angle to attack the basket and get a good shot. It was really confusing. Jimmy had the game four when he had 56 points, which he hit some of those closing shots because I remember one of them, it was because Chris Middleton couldn't hedge a pick and roll. And then another one, the Bucks just didn't pick up Jimmy Butler in transition. So he hit that step back three. It was great. Jimmy also had 42 in the deciding game in game five, which we'll talk about that a little bit more. Bam Adebayo, he's sometimes frustrating offensively, but he just gives you so much defensively, so much versatility. He was guarding Giannis. He did a good job of guarding Giannis. He deserves a lot of credit and he also had a triple double in the game five win and the most important thing I think was the fact that the 
Heat hit their threes. They were first in three-point percentage the year before in 2021-2022, but they just couldn't hit their threes during the regular season this year. In this series, they shot 45% from three. That was so huge in them winning the series. Of course, we know that Giannis missed game two and three with a back contusion because of the charge that happened in game one. So he missed the majority of game one too, which is unfortunate. I still felt like that the Bucks should have won this series. Just coaching, lack of adjustments really killed them in this series. And then most importantly, I want to talk about the game five where the Heat won 128 to 126. The Bucks had a 16-point lead to start the fourth quarter. They were up 102 to 86, but once again, their offense gets extremely stagnant, and it got stagnant in that fourth quarter. And also at the end of the fourth quarter, that final play where Jimmy Butler scored off a back screen. And I thought it was interesting. I thought Brooke Lopez should have been guarding the ball because Giannis was guarding the ball, which is fine. But I think you should have Giannis in the play, in around the rim. So what happened was... When the he ran that back screen, Pat Connaughton switched on to Jimmy Butler. I thought that Giannis should have been there, should have been in Pat Connaughton's spot. So when Drew Holiday and Giannis switched, I don't think Jimmy Butler scores over Giannis because Giannis is seven feet tall. So I think that was a crucial mistake and probably could have won them that game five. And to finish off my opinions and thoughts on this series, Duncan Robinson deserves credit because when you have someone, three-point shooting is extremely valuable. And when you have someone that can hit threes moving like that, it's definitely good for your offense, but he hasn't been playing good and they pay him a lot of money. So him playing like this in the first round, he shot 73% from three, was extremely important, and the Bucs didn't adjust their defense. So whenever Duncan Robinson came off DHOs, Brooke Lopez was literally standing in the paint, and Duncan Robinson was getting open threes. But credit to the Miami Heat, they had a great series and deserved to win this series in five games. Jimmy Butler was absolutely incredible. The role players stepped up. They hit threes. Bam was great. Eric Spolstra coached incredibly well. And for the Bucks, I mean, these types of things happen. It's crazy when it happens to the one seed, this type of upset. But they're just going to have to come back better next year. It's interesting what they do with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Like, they're getting a little bit old but anyways i hope you enjoyed this episode and i hope you have a good day i hope you continue to enjoy the playoffs and thank you for listening